I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom to my own song Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning? Or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. All I gotta do is count one, two, three. To my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me. Cause I'm doing my thing and I hold the key to all my wants. I'm really excited today because um, the guest is someone I've known for a good number of years and have watched her in you know some different career shifts and, and family growing and all kinds of things and just am really excited to welcome Lisa Lee. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited about this. Well, we're going to have a great time talking, and I want to start right off with Lisa. If somebody were to ask you who you were, both personally and professionally, what would your answer be? Okay. Um, I think the first thought that comes to my mind is that, that I'm a believer, and that's very much center of my story, is that um, the Lord found me and saved me and put a lot of things in place in my life that I probably would have missed without his guidance. So I think that's, first of all, what makes me. And then we have this big, loud, funny, rambunctious, totally committed family. And we're just, a, we're like fudge. We're mostly sweet, but with some nuts. It's, it's really fun. But, um, having grown up in a blended family, um, and my mom was the youngest of 13 children. So we had cousins and aunts and uncles that were just very numerous. It was a lot of fun. Um, and so I think um, growing up, um, moving a lot, my dad worked for um, civil service, and he was also with a government contractor, and we moved nine times in nine years. Wow. Like to Georgia, to Utah, to New Mexico, to Alabama, just a lot of moving, but um, I was at an age where that was really good. You know, I got to see a lot of the country, so, but that did, I think that did kind of shape who I, who I wanted to be. So we moved to Alabama when I was a sophomore in high school from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was a move that my dad made um, largely because of his health. And so we were trying to get back as close as we could to the most, um, family, which would have been in Georgia. We couldn't get back to Georgia. We made it to Alabama. So I remember traveling as a sophomore in high school. I just made my varsity cheer squad. I was captain of my volleyball team. I had my driver's license at 15, which was how things went in Albuquerque. We moved to Prattville, Alabama. And back in 1982, 
they pretty much roll the sidewalks back at nine o'clock at night. I mean, Prattville was just as quiet and as sleepy as it could be. And I remember thinking as we were staying in the Holiday Inn for a month waiting for furniture, I remember thinking, this can't be right. Like, this is a mistake. (laughs) But I have just really enjoyed watching how that story kind of laced itself up together and the connections that we made here and this really is home to us now um you know finished high school and college here uh, met my husband here just so many wonderful things about this move and I think about how pouty I was at 16 having to leave what I knew and um knowing what I have now it's it's been a really sweet thing to watch. And I've used that story with my own children to say, um, don't get too wrapped up in your disappointments because you never know how those events are just orchestrated on your behalf. So I found, I have found a really wonderful life in Prattville, Alabama, even though I was pretty devastated about it at age 16, you know. It is interesting how that perspective is something that that you gain as you you move forward but um but it it also provided you some differences I mean to the as family changed and grew and you got closer to family um did it take you a long time were you pouty from 16 to 17 or were you pouty (laughs) from 16 month one to month three probably month one to month three um you know, um, I had really sweet friends in Albuquerque, and I thought at 16, um, well, there's never going to be anyone like Susie Davis in Prattville, Alabama. But, you know, the Lord knew. And there was a Sandy Giroux, Um, and she was, she was Sandy Oliver at the time, and she was the funniest girl and just would not let me go. She just wanted me to feel comfortable here. She took me to all the highlights of Prattville back then. And there were, I would say, two. The crosses <laughs> out on Golson Road. You have to go see the crosses. And um, to see who was hanging out in the Kmart parking lot, which my dad had instructed me, you will not be hanging out in the Kmart parking lot. You will not be hanging out at McDonald's. But we did go early in the day and go backwards through the McDonald's drive through because she just really, I think she just knew that I needed somebody to win me over. And she really did win me over. We ended up renting a house in the same neighborhood with them. Her mom was my math teacher and she just made it so fun. I mean, we really had the greatest time. We had a really neat little class at school. Um, I went to a small private school that was also associated with the church. So, and the Lord knew I needed that. I needed, um, I needed all of my pieces to kind of be in one place. I needed to make some strong connections. And that was a great, um, that was a great place for me to be. So, um, that, that was a lot of fun. And no, I, I, you couldn't stay pouty. My parents are, are fun, but they're also firm. And they were saying, Hey, you don't, you don't need to keep, um, questioning this move. You need to get busy and enjoy this move. And that's, that's what I did. I mean, I, I ended up getting my license after a few months being here. And, um, it was such a small town that, you know, my parents didn't think anything about, sending me with a grocery list and the blank check to the supermarket. I mean, it was just, it was a great place to grow up. So, you know, ended up um, 
really being interested in education, honestly, that's all I had ever considered. And I, and I don't know why I, I don't, I mean, there are a lot of things that I love. I mean, I, I love science and I love the arts and I love literature, um, but education, I just never in my mind did I say, hey, I'm, I might do this or this. It was always, I'm going into education. And so um, my freshman year, I went to Liberty Baptist College. Um, now it's Liberty University. It was really small back then. Um, went there on a scholarship for a year, came home because at the time, there were very few private schools that had a special ed degree program. You could do elementary, you could do secondary, but people just were not talking about special ed much. Oh, wow. Back in the 80s. So I transferred home to AUM and started working on a um, double major elementary and special ed and um, taught for 21 years just using my elementary degree. Uh, oh, taught in Montgomery County in a magnet program, stayed home with our kids for several years. And then when um, the opportunity came to go to their, move to their small private school, I did that and was there for 16 years. That was a great experience. Just really teacher heaven, you know, got to go to work every day with my kids. We packed four lunch boxes, loaded up in a suburban, went to school every day for years. We did that 16 years. And then as our youngest was graduating, I just kept having this awful heaviness, this anxiety about, I am going to be coming to this school without my children. I have never come to this school. I, I don't want to go to work without my kids. They've, they've always been in my car. I've always had somebody's sports gear in the back of my vehicle. I've always had a practice to attend or a ball game to attend. And I remember thinking, I just I don't want to do that without them. Um, but I didn't really put that to words. Um, I remember hearing Scott, he's always coached our kids. And I remember hearing him say how traumatic it was the first time you coached after their senior season and you looked for them on the court or you looked for them on the field and that awful gut feeling of, oh, they're not there. Um, and I just remember dreading that. And a friend um, who teaches in the county uh sent me a text and I, I'm working at this small private school. She sends me a text and she said, there's an opening at my school for reading. I think you should apply for it. Have you given that some thought? And I said, not a single thought, not, not one thought. So I called the only other person that I knew in the County. She was a principal at Marbury high school. And I called, I called her and I said, Donna, it's May. Haven't even considered working outside of what I'm doing right now. What would be the chance I mean, is it too late to even consider this? And she said, call me right now. And I sent her a text back and I said, oh, no, no, no. See, I, I can't call you right now. I'm at my job. And she was mm -hmm. like, I really need you to call me after school today. So I called her as soon as I got in the car and she said, hey, I was about to call a teacher for a sped job interview. And I, I just threw that paper away because I want you for that job. And I said, no, 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 no. No, see, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm calling you about a reading job that was open in another school. And she said, listen to me. This is of the Lord. I need to hire you. You're right for this job. Come see me. Can you come tomorrow after school? And I said, nope, my child graduates. I'm not calling you about that. And she's like, Lisa, stop. This is where you're supposed to be. Come see me. I said, well, we're going on a trip for Macy's graduation. Can I talk to you when I come back? She said, yes. So when I got back, I, I went for an interview and that was it. And it has been the sweetest punctuation to my career that I could have ever found. And I 
had this special ed degree and I go 25 years without using it. And now I'm in a self-contained high school special ed classroom. Students who are on a, a diploma pathway that does not allow them any post-secondary education, education at all. Um, it is just the best job in the world. I, I get to work with these young adults and help them um, become more independent, help them become job ready, uh, help them find their place in a high school that's um, largely not like them, but they feel, I think, very connected to our student body and our staff. And it, it is just really um, a wonderful blessing. It really is. I love what I do. That is spectacular. And we're going to dive really deep into that because I know you have some stories that will really explain and convey um, that feeling that you have and, and help us to kind of get there and feel some of those same things. But I want to back up and I want to talk about um, the going to school with your kids. And, and that I just, you know, so many people are not doing that. They're just dropping their kids off, but you're going through the whole day. So empty nest had a different meaning for you. Oh yeah. It was all and, day long. Yeah. And so then all day long. that struggle and did you feel kind of what the world says about empty nest and you having to kind of, you know, go, well, I don't really feel that I'm not going to fall into that, but yet your own emotions with it. So right. talk to me about that struggle and how you worked through it. Um, just in the process of thinking to yourself and maybe talking with your friends and what kind of advice you might pass on to somebody else that, you know, is coming to that. Okay. I think Scott, my husband, Scott has always had a very a very good feel for where we were in our married life and in our life as parents. And he always kind of kept us accountable for that. You know, um, those teething toddler sleepless night kind of scene, he would say, yeah, this is going to be short lived. You know, let's, let's don't get discouraged. Um, he was a very compassionate <laughs> dad to a stay at home mom. And so there were times that I would say, yikes, today just about did me in, you know, it was teething and an independent three-year-old and a bored five-year-old and holy cow, what are we going to do here? Um, and he would say, now look, you, you know what, if you don't want to do this all day long, if you want to go back and teach, you know, I know you probably miss teaching. I, I totally get it. But if you just need a break, hey, is there a hobby you want to take up? I mean, he was, he was always kind of keeping the perspective for me. So um, when, as our kids would get older and, you know, the mom and me would say, oh, they're learning to drive. This is going so quickly. Or, oh, they're a senior. And, oh, we're passing all these milestones. He would, he would, you know, feel that with me. But he would also say, yeah, but this means they're being successful. They're moving on. They're doing this. They're doing that. And we want to, we want to celebrate those things. So, um, even though neither of us love change, we are not, we're not all that excited about change. We have tried to embrace the change. Like uh, there was one point where we had a student at Auburn, a student at Jacksonville State, 
up in North Alabama. And then a high school junior, senior who was playing every sport on the planet. So uh, one particular weekend, we got up early on a Saturday morning, drove to Auburn to see a scholarship presentation, drove to North Alabama to watch Carolyn train for a ball game, came back through and caught one of Macy's. It was just nuts. I mean, we had traveled, I, I think we said 11 counties. We, we just were on the road <laughs> the whole time. And Scott said, this empty nest thing, I, it's got to be better than what we've just done this weekend. I mean, <laughs> we were exhausted, but but really we have tried to, um, I, I, I think Scott is a big proponent of gratitude. So wherever we are, whatever we're experiencing, um, let's be grateful. Let's find the things to be grateful for. So um, let's be thankful that they're in a school. Let's be thankful that they have good jobs. Let's be thankful that they found a spouse. Yeah, it might've moved them away from us, but let's be thankful for what the Lord's doing in their life because these are the things that as young parents, we prayed the day would come that they mm-hmm. were successful and, and did find their passion and, and were hardworking enough to stick to some of those things. And so, um, you know, he does offer me a Kleenex and a Diet Coke as we're pulling away from every college dorm room or apartment. We, I mean, we moved a kid, we moved 12 different times getting kids, you know, in apartments and leaving. And 12 times I cried the first hour on the way home. And he would just pat my hand and say, I know this is tough. Do you want another Diet Coke? You know, he would just kind of <laughs> keep me anchored. And, and he's also made it easy for us to enjoy those times. You know, he is a huge Alabama fan. And he had always taken us to Auburn events because our son was there. And he has a shirt from Jack State University, bought tickets to go to those things. He was a Judson dad. I mean, we've done all of those things. Last year was the first time he had ever gone to an Alabama football game. And that's wow. just kind of the precedent he set for our family is that we're all in. Whatever you're doing, we're going to be all in. And so he made it easy to enjoy the times that we could be with them. Um, even as our nest was empty, um, really celebrated those moments. And I think that made it, it made it fun. Um, it gave my mama heart a chance to be with them and see them. And, you know, he plans trips and we just really tried to find the good in that, find the things to be grateful for and work hard to do the things that made us feel close again. So if that meant traveling to them or traveling with them or renting a place at the beach, hoping that we could attract them all down there, you know, (laughs) whatever that takes. I mean, um, and I I think he's made that easy to celebrate. So, and and you, you got to figure out what you're going to do after they're gone. And he kept saying all along, like we, he and I would take trips, like we traveled with the company. Um, and he would say, um, we have to keep practicing how we're going to do this when we're not managing their schedule. So let's keep practicing what that's going to feel like to take a trip and not worry about did everyone pack the right clothes, you know, just enjoying where we were. So I think um, gratitude has probably been the biggest positive factor of handling the empty nest is just being thankful that you have them and that they're doing well. Well, as you were raising your kids and as you were finding your career, once you stepped back outside of the home, 
that took a tremendous amount of balance. So did you ever just feel that you were completely out of balance? And if you did, then how did you gain that back? Or was it a hold your breath until we're done moment? Um, <laughs> Probably some of, some of all of that. Both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there are times, you know, when I first went back to work, I had this wrong expectation that I could still be the stay at home mom that I was, you know, keeping everybody's laundry done and keeping a really clean house and, you know, decent meals and just, you know, all those expectations that women give ourselves because of our society, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, and that that's a little bit of a struggle for me. My dearest friends, my closest circle did not work outside their home. And so sometimes I felt like I had to do it all. Like I had to do, you know, had to keep the same level of fitness that they were keeping and the same kind of housekeeping they were doing and the same kind of meals and the hobbies and the fun and the energy and the career. And I, you know, I had actually started work in November. We went back after Thanksgiving break. I finished the year for someone who was on maternity leave and was not planning to return. So, so from November to May, I didn't sleep a whole lot because I was trying to do all the things, you know, and at midnight, I'd still be up spiffing things. And Scott would say, Hey, you have to let some of that go. Like it's, it's okay. Like we'll catch up on the weekend, but you've got to get some rest. So we, we, limped along like that. I was very hard headed about it. And, and I limped along until we got out of school in May. And then uh, Scott's always had this neat tradition where we find something that the kids really, really wanted, you know, like a swing set or a trampoline or a, I don't know, um, something fun, something exciting that they wanted to play with or enjoy for the, you know, maybe it was new bike helmets or something like that. Sometimes it was a big thing. Sometimes a little thing, but anyway, he would, we take them to dinner after the school year would end and just kind of celebrate like, Hey, good job. You guys were hard working and you made good grades. We're so proud of you. And so we were at this particular dinner and Scott said, Hey, look, we're about to kill our mom. Like she cannot keep this pace up. So this summer is going to be the summer that you learn to do chores and their poor little faces were like, wait, what? I said, but mom's, mom's got some ideas about some things that y'all can do. And it'll take that off her. And if everybody works a little bit, then we won't have an exhausted mama. And that's, that's what we need to do. And, and the looks on their faces were like, this is a joke. Like, we can't, we just, what did we just sign up for? But it was a really fun summer. They, they were so sweet and learned to do a lot of things. But um, that was the end of me trying to do everything. Um, it really was. And they, um, they learned a lot. Um, we didn't worry so much about how perfect things were, how perfectly straight beds were, how perfectly straight the Tupperware drawer was. We just let some of that stuff go because it was going to last for such a short time. And the thing that we wanted them to catch before they caught anything else was that when you are faced with tough times, that's when everybody pulls together. That's when everybody works hard. And, and I think that was a super valuable lesson that I would not have had the guts to do on my own. I think my mom guilt would have eaten me up about that. But unfortunately I had a sweet husband who was saying, no, we can't, we can't run this like this. Like she, you're not going to last. You're not going to make it 
through 16 years in a small private school trying to be superwoman. That's not, that's not good. It's not healthy. It's not a good example for them either. That's where he got me. He said, that's not a good example. And you got to do what's repeatable and what's beneficial for them. So let's everybody help. So we made it through and they were super helpful at home. It was wonderful. That, that's that awesome. And awesome. one of the things that I am picking up as you're talking about Scott, and I know Scott, our listeners don't, but he sounds like he's got all the time in the world to think up these things and all the time in the world to help <laughs> you know manage this. And I know that that's oh, not true. No, you know so how in the world um, do y'all work on that to where one, he can say something to you and you don't bristle up and go, wait, yeah. you're telling me how to do yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there were times that it was bristly, but um, Scott's one of those leaders that is easy to follow because he's not bristly and um, he's, he doesn't come in and say, this is how it's going to be. I don't want any more discussion about it. You know, he doesn't lay it out there like that. He, he's very compassionate. And so when he comes in, he says, I've been noticing this is, this is hard. And, and you are at the end of your rope and we can't just tie knot and hang on. We got to add more to the rope. Like we got to fix this. So he's a thinker. Um, he's, he's pretty selfless as well. So all those years that he was telling me I shouldn't be working all these extra hours and, you know, staying up late to do things like that. He was steadily not missing the ball practices and staying up late working from home. So he could do that again. And um, so I, I've always teased him about when you're the one to talk the way you, the schedule that you keep, but it's just the nature of, of what he does in IT. It, it has to be done after hours, has to be done when the system is not being used. And so um, he was, he didn't have a whole lot of time, but he had a whole lot of heart. And I think that's why he made some of the decisions that he made for us that made it just easier for our kids to see I think if I had been the one saying if you kids don't help me it wouldn't have carried as much weight but when he came in and said hey we're all going to work together everybody's going to help everybody just like mom and I are going to help you at ball practices and with homework you're going to help us with yard work and housework because it takes everybody Uh, coming from him that carried a lot more weight than it would have even coming from me so um, that, that I think was probably the key to that success. It wasn't always successful. I mean, we had some grumblings about chores and bedtimes and cell phone policies. And, you know, we had grumblings about that. And, it, you know, we worked through it. it so as you're talking, mm-hmm. I am hearing you start talking about some of the real parenting and discipline and just the the different things that you had to face and and probably you were also seeing a different side than a lot of parents do because you really knew who their friends were you really knew what the talk was in the hallway mm-hmm. and and yet you had family rules and and policies that you put into play can you remember any that were terrifically difficult where you kind of had to go against the flow of what everybody else might be doing 
and then how you navigated that. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot, well, we did not give a whole lot of freedom when they were first learning to drive. And they felt a lot of angst about that because a lot of friends, uh, well, not their closest friends, but there were a lot of people in their class that once they turned 16, they pretty much could come and go as they chose, pick the time, the place, the people. And we just did not operate like that. And they were incredibly busy with sports and, and were involved in our church. And there just wasn't a whole lot of free time. Um, but I can tell you the times that I did not watch that closely are the times that I regret terribly that I didn't keep a closer watch on that. And the other thing was the use of a cell phone. Um, our kids did not keep their cell phone in their rooms. They did not charge in their rooms at night. They charged in our rooms. They came to our rooms at nine o'clock, no matter what you had going on. You know, it could be world war, catastrophe, breakup, homework, didn't matter. Those phones charged in our rooms um, because they just, they need their rest. They just needed, they needed not to keep rehearsing and talking about the things that happened throughout the day. They didn't need all that social media drama just playing 24 seven in their head. And um, so they just, that was the rule. And, uh, and I think they had acquaintances that made fun of them about that. What are they gonna do when you go to college? Well, we're not gonna need to do anything when you go to college because you're gonna be ready for it. But right now to protect you, um, to give you rest, just straight up, they needed rest. I think so many teenagers, we see some behavior out of them because they're exhausted. They, mm -hmm. they're just, they're way, there's no margins in their life. And so they never really have a chance to think for themselves and reflect and just rest. And so, yeah, those probably how tight we ran vehicles at our house and where you could go in those vehicles. And um, how we, we, they all had cell phones, but we just had some real rules about, about how you used them and, and they didn't have access to them all the time. Our youngest um, still reminds us how often hers was taken away because she, <laughs> she was a very bright child, but she was a talker. <laughs> And being at the same school with all of the teachers that taught her, you know, it didn't take very long for me to find out that she was talking too much in class. So um, she would maintain straight A's and still get her phone taken away. And she'd say, that is so unfair. And I'd say, well, Macy, if your teacher took the time to say to me, she talks a bit, that was the nicest way she had of saying, I don't know what I'm gonna do with her. And so to help you remember that, you're going to give me your cell phone. Well, when can I get it back? Well, when does the next grading report come out? Oh, wow. Six weeks, whatever that was. You know, I don't, I don't pick the times I told her. So yeah, she regularly did not have a cell phone for that reason, but you know what? She, she turned out um, to be just fine. She didn't die without a cell phone and um she ended up being a really good student. So somewhere along the line, she figured out what she had to do. And uh, she still talks a bit, but it's good. She's talking <laughs> about good things, so it's good. That's funny. They're all so different. You know, you've got, you've got three and, you know, 
you just, you can't motivate them all the same way. You can't discipline them all the same way. And you have to do that and still try to be consistent. And I think that's a, parenting is not for the, for the weak. No, it's It's not. not for the coward. It's hard. Parenting is such hard work, but it's, it's so incredibly rewarding to see them uh, develop a passion mm-hmm. and to follow it and to work hard for it. I think that's the sweetest reward as a parent to see your grown children being successful um, at what they love to do. You know, that's, you know, from the time they got here, we pray, you know, God, please just use them and show them what you want them to do and help them not to just make a living, but just to enjoy their life, especially Mm -hmm. as it relates to being lined up with your principles. Like we know there's true happiness when you've, when you're lined up with what the Lord wants you to do. And so that's been, um, that's been fun to watch and scary to watch. Um, But you know, you, you've got to, my mom uh, passed away about a year ago and she used to tell me, um, you know, they're, they're not you. Um, they're not going to be like you, even though they are of you, they're not going to be like you. So relax and let them develop because they don't have to be a mini you or a mini Scott. Um, and that was such good advice. Hard to do. It is hard to do. You want to control, but yeah. So we let um, this. This is um, kind of a side note. We, our youngest, wanted to go to physical therapy school, and she applied to um, a school in Montgomery, a school in Birmingham. I want to say a school in South Alabama, and she got waitlisted at those two. She also applied to a school in New York because she had done some mission work up there between her freshman and sophomore year of college, I believe, and really fell in love with that place. She was up there for 12 weeks teaching English as a second language, and she just loved it. And I just hated that she loved it, but she loved it. <laughs> I mean, I really did. I, was like, I know that feeling. Not okay. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, this was during COVID, and she got waitlisted at those two schools that were in the state, and she immediately got accepted to the one in, in New York. And I said, because this is my sassy pants side, okay? I said, you know, I'm proud of you. I'm I'm not trying to minimize this at all. I'm so proud of you. However, you know, that's the first hurdle because yes, you got accepted to that school. I'm sure they want your money. I'm sure they do. But I am very certain that you cannot afford to live in New York City and neither can I. So if the Lord wants you to go there, he will provide some housing because I can tell you, and it's kind of passed your dad's muster. So it has to be safe. It has to be affordable. It has to be all inclusive. If the Lord wants you to go to New York, he'll work that out. And he did. <laughs> and, and he did. And, you know, when the Lord is in something, he doesn't do it part way. He doesn't get there almost like he fully delivers. So she's in mission housing in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Very safe, very safe place. Um, for a fraction of what it would cost to put her in an apartment in Montgomery or Birmingham. <laughs> and it was all inclusive. And I, you know, I just had to laugh. So, you know, we tell that story and 
someone um, said to me, well, I still don't know how in the world you could let your 22-year-old daughter move to New York City by herself. And I said, I don't either. I, I don't have an answer for that. And that really, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. It bothered me. Um, I thought, well, how silly are we? Like, why are we letting our 22-year-old go to New York? This doesn't make any sense. We shouldn't be doing this. And um, Scott's sister, who is a sweet friend of mine, said, well, the Lord loves her more than you do. And he knows her better than you do. And he can protect her more than you can. So I think your conversation is with the Lord. So we let her go and she's done very well. I have been terrified many times, um, but it is exactly where she was supposed to be. And, you know, had she waited, she might would have gotten in those schools. COVID might have changed all those waiting lists. You know, she might have been. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, letting them go, you've, you've had to let some go. You've had to watch them yeah. move farther away than you were comfortable with, but you, you cannot hold them back. You just can't. And what you say is so, so true. I cannot even imagine the blessings, the experiences, because I don't have any framework with in which to operate to know what experiences they're going to have. So being able to let go um, really does kind of broaden not only their world, but mine. It does. And that's been kind of a twist to parenting that, I don't know that I knew was coming as you see what they're learning. And then you learn from that. It, yeah. um, it kind of grows in a direction that I didn't get to have personally experience, but as a mom, I get to experience. That's right. So you talked about margins and you talked about, you know, the margins to find rest and that you had to create some of that space. Do you think by creating some of that space, you help them know how to do that? You know, yes and no. Um, we were we were a little bit hypocritical in that and that we made them <laughs> go to bed at a you know at a certain time and get their rest and and eat a good breakfast and you know do all the things. And um, and yet I think sometimes we were not a great example of establishing some margins. Um, and, and probably still struggle with that a little bit to this day. And so now that we're watching, you know, the adult children, we're saying things like, hey, don't forget to, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything. You don't have to. It's okay to, to take a step back. And so I, I think we've kind of learned from each other a little bit because our kids will say, you know, hey, y'all, y'all are going too hard in the paint. Y'all got to stop a little bit. You got to rest. Um, you don't have to say yes to all those things. And yeah, you hate it when they feed your sermon right back to you, but they do sometimes. So yeah, well, at least they were listening. They were listening. They heard it and then they can give it back to you. So yeah. let's let's take a little turn from from family and and that's such the fabric of your world, but it also because you have that same compassion and that same energy. And those same desires for your students, that kind of led you into this part, this part of your professional life. 
and the opportunities that you have now. So let's dive into that and tell me a little bit about how you, we talked about how you got the job, but then when you walk in that door that first day and you start creating the environment that you want to create that stimulates those students, talk to me about that and what you had to have to draw on pretty much daily for you to keep that going. You know, working in a, in a public school um, or really any school, you know, has a curriculum guide. They, they had a, they have a list of skills and a list of content and some objectives that they want you to achieve for certain groups of students, certain subjects. And so, you know, there's a framework there. And when I first took the job, I immediately looked at those standards. And I remember thinking, I think I've misunderstood the job. Like I, I think I, I've either misunderstood the kind of learner I'm going to be working with, or I've misunderstood these content standards. And so I asked a few questions, called a few people over summer vacation and said, hey, I, I, I don't think these sound like the kind of standards that uh, these students would need. And, you know, and people kind of chuckled like, well, yeah, yeah, that's just part of it. Well, as it turns out, the standards are broad and they're, and they're aimed at giving students the most academic uh, experience that they can but it's sometimes a little bit inappropriate. Like for example, I have students who are ninth through 12th grade. They can be even a 12 plus two student. So they can be there two years. They can stay in our program till they're 21. That's federal law. So I've got these math standards and I'm looking at those standards. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking it should be things like measurements so that they can cook and, and math that they can be a good consumer, that they can know if they got back the right change or uh, know if they have enough money to pay for something. You know, that, that's what I'm thinking, the math. And I get the standards and their volume of a pyramid and y-axis and x-axis and line intercept and slope. And I'm thinking, I've made a grave mistake. This is not, this is not what we need to do. And so I, I think um, and, I, and I love working in the state of Alabama. I love the State Department of Education, but I think there are some things about those standards that don't fit every single classroom. And so um, my challenge was to figure out, now how am I going to satisfy the state of Alabama? Because that's my job. I'm under contract to do that. How am I going to follow county policy and satisfy the state, but teach those people in my room? Because my first priority is to teach those people in my room. And so I met with my principal and said, I'm a little concerned because if I understood my learners correctly. Some of these standards are not going to be appropriate. And she was, had the best nature. And she said, well, if we're going to err on the side of anything, let's err on the side of your paperwork and your standards and your, let's, Let's not err on the side of what you do with those students. So let that be your focus and then we'll work out all the other things. And I said, okay, we're going to start from there then. And so um, I, I'm, a, I'm in a classroom where I've got instructional aides and some of them had known the students for several years. And I met with them and said, what these kids, what can they do and what do they need to be able to do? And we just made ourselves a continuum and we, we started working on when they leave here after their senior year or after they turn 21, what do they need to be able to do to take care of themselves? And we started chipping away 
at that continuum? Was it sorting laundry? Was it putting the right amount of laundry in a washer? Was it knowing how to use a microwave safely? Was it knowing who to tell your personal information to? We just started making this long laundry list and tried to figure out how we could get them moving along that list. And um, there's lots and lots of resources for things like that. Um, but there, you can get lost in some of that and you just have to get really practical. Like I understand that the state wants us to achieve the highest academic goal, but I cannot spend precious time teaching them slope intercept when they really need to be able to know if I have an amount, a purchase that's in the amount of 878, I need to count out $9. That's what I need to do. My children are not gonna be able to count change, that's okay. We taught them a dollar up method so they never get ousted for more than a dollar. <laughs> they never get short change for more than a dollar. Um, you know, I just kind of had to, in my mind, um, justify not teaching one of these higher standards just to satisfy this group, um, knowing my students like I knew them. So um, that has been met with great support. And I, I, I would have to say my administrative team has been um, a huge proponent of that. The other thing we knew about our learners is that they, although they're high school age bodies, they're not wired where they can sit for 45 minutes in a class and attend to the same thing. So a lot of my elementary background came into play. And so we developed this system where we've got all these stations around the room where they can rotate every few minutes, literally every seven minutes an alarm goes off and they move to a new activity. And even though that activity might be still practicing the same things, we might still be working on comprehension with direct instruction with me. And then they might go over here and listen to a story that works on their listening comprehension. Um, we just tried to make that appropriate for their learning style. So lots of movement, lots of variety, lots of adult interaction. Um, and we've, We've seen that that really works for them. Uh, they need space in there where they can be active and move and get the blood flow going again, but they also need some calming zone. So we kind of designed their schedule where they're super interactive with a human and then kind of quiet and dependent and then sort of active again and then back with another human being. And that, um, that rotation is kind of multi-sensory. It's also, um, you know, gives them a, a good release for their physical energy, but also a, a way to calm themselves and then be engaged again and then calm themselves. And we've seen that to be very successful with these learners. So um, it takes a lot of stuff to do that kind of environment. Yeah. My students also don't learn well with a picture of an idea. Like I can't just show them a file folder game of how we would sort laundry. Like we have to have the actual pieces of clothing. So uh, thrift store, you know, 25 cent shirts in every color of the rainbow. Um, it just takes a lot of stuff. You know, my principal teases me about having too much stuff, but really it's what it takes. And he's been super support. He found lots of storage space for me, but 
it's not uncommon for us to haul in a Rubbermaid container of clothes and have them sort those. Um, one of the things that we learned just from that little activity is that they didn't make the connection between washing and folding and sorting someone else's clothes. They made the connection when they brought their clothes. So wow. we didn't have a washer or a dryer, um, but you know, power of, of social media, I put a post on social media and said, does anyone have a washer and a dryer that, that they have sitting around? Maybe they upgraded in their home and, and then you've just got this spare set that no one needs. We could really use that. And the county agreed if I got one donated, they would make all the connections. They, they'd make sure I had all the plumbing and whatever to do that. So I, I post that like on a Saturday afternoon. We've been doing yard work. I post it. Hey, we need some, we need a washer and a dryer. The next morning I woke up, it's a Sunday morning. There are six washers and dryers that have been committed. And I was like, oh my word, what am I going to do with those? So we were able to give washers and dryers to all the self-contained high school classrooms in the county. Oh, so wow. that they could bring their own laundry, do their own laundry. And that we saw, we saw that that idea kind of close up and they they made the connection then, like, this is how I wash my stuff, this is how I fold my things. Um, we've had so many wonderful people come alongside and see what we're doing and say, uh, you know, that makes me think, do y'all would y'all like a toaster oven for your room or would you like a a board to fold t-shirts like they do in the retail stores. Just, I mean, <laughs> crazy helpful things that have made um, our classroom so much more functional for those students. Um, it, it's just amazing, really, the, the kind of things that people give us. Uh, we're, we're about to, to move into a new wing, and they, they let us give input as to what we would want in a classroom that's designed for special needs students. And we ask for our own kitchen, bathroom, laundry room, um, a space to set up training stations. Um, we train our kids for jobs that we think they could be successful, like um, restaurant, fast food restaurant kind of jobs, like um, prepping stations and uh, cleaning off stations and, um, we, could, we can train them for vet tech and medical tech jobs. They can restock medical carts. They can do all kinds of custodial work. They do all kinds of filing. They can do all kinds of assembly work if we train them properly. Like we use a lot of, take a photo of what we want something to look like in the end. And then we take photos of how it will look like along the process. And even my non-readers can follow that series of pictures and they can they can roll silverware for restaurants and stuff envelopes for mail outs and you know sort items restock things for retail departments it's it's amazing what they can do um and we've just been incredibly blessed to have a county and a, a an admin team that that gets that and really advocated for us to have probably the nicest um, self-contained classroom in the state. I mean, really, it's, it is going to be state-of-the-art. That is incredible. That is incredible. As you talk, it is so physically investing 
in mentally investing that you are doing in the classroom. And I could just see your heart burst and I could see your heart melt and I could see your heart get mad. Um, you know, there's just so many emotions that you must go through. So talk about some of those moments that just make you um, proud, angry, um, a statement, you know, that I think a lot of us don't even think about this part of the world and people. And, um, and so that can do a couple of things on your own head. Um, so how do you, how do you deal? And then what are some, I probably put 18 questions in that one thing, but um, I see where you're going. yeah. So just kind of yes. go down that road for me. I, I think um, burnout can be pretty high in any industry that involves constant contact with people. I, I think you see that in nursing and education and social work, you know, those, because if you are a, a caregiver or tend to have that caregiving personality, it's hard not to jump in and be passionate and fully invested. Um, and you can't really do that job effectively if you're not fully invested. So you got to take some time to refuel. And so some of the times that, that I've been sort of running on empty, um, I've had to kind of go back and say, okay, now what's, what's the big picture here? And again, my husband is a, he's a big picture thinker. And so sometimes when I come in and I say, I was, I am so frustrated about blank. He hears me out and he says, well, okay, what's the big picture? Where do we need to be? What is it? What is it that you need? And we start talking about that. He kind of helps me think it through. And then, um, you can kind of find a way that, that you can express that to the people that are in charge. So one of the things that got the attention of my administrative team is that um, my mom used to, this was her mantra, like start where you are, use what you have and do what you can or trash. Okay. So I was in this, in this little bitty classroom which was nice, had a nice window. Somebody had put in a kitchen sink and a, um, a, a stove and a little cabinet. So we were making do with that. And I needed to show my admin team that we would use what we had and that we would start where we are and that we'd do what we could. And so we started there. We started having cooking class on Fridays and we started um, you know, making treats for different visitors that would come in and we started offering to help the custodian give us a key to the toilet paper rack. We want to fill up the toilet paper. And, um, you know, we just started being all about the school, had a little push cart and we would just make ourselves busy, find somebody to help. Can we please dust your office while you're on break? You know, we just got out there to see the people and that's, that is so healthy for that population in every sense of the word. They need those connections. I think our school in particular is so supportive and tolerant of our population. I mean, they, they cheer them on. They are just the sweetest, 
student body, um, and they they find ways to get involved. and And I, I knew that would be the case if they could see them uh, like we see them. But when you watch it play out, it's it's really fascinating. So we we wrote a grant through um, the um, Central Alabama Electric Cooperative, the Bright Ideas Grant. We asked for things to start a bistro. We wanted a Keurig coffee pot and a little hot pot to make tea with, and we wanted a little cart, and we were gonna make coffee for the teachers and deliver it. And that was, we won the grant and it was wildly successful. And we had so much fun learning to make coffee and we jazz it up with caramel syrup and Cool Whip. And they just got, they learned so much. They learned measuring and timing and how to handle something hot. It was just great. Um, a friend of mine monogrammed aprons for them. They were all about in a cheeseburger. Well, the coffee business went nuts. Like we, we decided teachers would say, can I just let my, my class, can I let my fourth period English order coffee from you all? We said, we could probably do that. So every once in a while we'd have these big orders and we'd deliver to the classrooms. And one of the things that I did not count on when I wrote that grant, I thought, well, they're just going to learn these good job skills. They can get a job in a coffee shop. This is going to be great. Um, what happened was they put on those monogrammed aprons and they drove that coffee cart and they walked into classrooms, knocked on the door and would open the door. And, you know, they not not all of them can read. So I might have to say that's that's Ryan's coffee. And they'd say, Ryan, your coffee and their cool points went up so much. They were not just that group of children that nobody talked to and nobody knew. Um, Students started speaking to them when they weren't wearing their aprons, when they weren't delivering coffee. Um, It just caught on like wildfire. And it was just, it was crazy good. We we had done this for a whole year and I'm, I'm coming to school one morning. I've got, you know, arms loaded down with my bags and a student gets off the bus and says, are you Miss Lee? And I said, yes. And he said, I brought you some coffee cups. I went to Sam's and got you some coffee cups for your coffee thing. And I said, why, why did you do that? And he said, why? I just, I just know it's someone supports your coffee business and buys the supplies. And I just wanted to be that someone for, for this time. But an 18 year old brings coffee cups and lids because he wants to be an encouragement to the special needs class. And I, just in a puddle before eight o'clock that morning. You know, I'm just, I, I the amount of initiative that took mm-hmm. to do that as a teenager, I was just yeah. so proud of our students. For Well, and you had an impact them. that you didn't even know to no. look for. No idea. That's no idea that that would happen. So, so they've, they've gotten to do a lot of things. They're currently working the concession stand. So when the students come by, you know, for their morning break, my kids are handing them the, the drinks and the chips and the whatever. And they're starting to see the same people over and over again. So they're starting to make those connections. And I just, I can't uh, replicate that in the classroom. No matter how much interaction they have with me or the other adults in there, I cannot replicate peer interaction. They need that. They have to learn to respond to a fluid conversation. They have to learn to make eye contact. They have to learn to watch the gestures and the fist bumps and the, you know, that stuff that I cannot give them outside of, of that 
interaction. And that's been so fun. Um, it's been fun to watch. So. That is that is great. What kind of hurdles have you had to, I mean, I know you talked about the budget and getting the vision, but what kind of hurdles have you seen that um, that are still there? We have a lot of government agencies that are designed to help people in need. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, you know, a lot of our students should be receiving some social security benefits because of their disabilities. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that because um, their, their parents, their caregivers, uh, they have a lot of extra demands on them. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of time off from work because of the needs of their special needs child. There, there's a lot of, in some cases, they have extra cost related to their care, whether that's therapy or medication or checkups, or there's just a lot going on in their life. And so I do feel like um, they need all the help they can get. And a lot of my parents work full-time. And so the idea of their student being cared for at school um, is, is just so important. I mean, they, they've got to be able to get to retirement. So I'm glad that they can stay with us there till they're 21. I really encourage them to do that, even though it it does go against our school's graduation rate, which that's frustrating to me. I'm thinking, why why should my students staying till 21? Why should that impact what it looks like our school has done in terms of graduation? It seems like we can put a man on the moon. There should be a way we can take that out of the equation that we don't penalize, you know. So that's a little frustrating. But we are trying to get our students. Um, by the time they're a senior in high school or 21, you know, we want them to be able to do some form of work. Now, our students are not going to work 40 hours a week. They're not going to have the stamina for that. Um, there's probably there's probably very little they could do for 40 hours a week, to be quite honest with you. But um, we've got to get to a place where there's an agency or a watchdog group that can kind of help them be successful in a workplace. Uh, my students are going to need supervision. They, they, we can train them to do a certain job, but for their own safety, they're going to need a job coach uh, that doesn't fade away. You know, we have programs for students that are in a little bit different learning category than mine, and maybe they can start with a job coach and then that job coach can fade back and they can just you know, just have someone checking on them occasionally. My students are not going to work in that environment. So we have, we've tried to work with the local agencies and, and they're, they're sort of designed to do things a certain way. They get people job coaches, they fade that job coach within a month or two, and then they move on to the next story. Um, there's nobody out there wanting to stay the course with my students. And so um, we've talked to local businesses who say, you know what, I am willing for them to work for me. Um, there is no help on liability insurance. You know, so if, if someone has a small business and they decide they will try to find something for one of my students to do, um, you know, if that student gets hurt there, I mean, it's a real liability for a company to consider. Um, and we've, 
we would love to see something like this. Let's say you're a fast food manager, owner, district manager, however it's laid out. Let's, let's just say you have a fast food restaurant and there are jobs that my student can do, but you're a busy fast food restaurant manager. You do not have time to put eyes on them. You don't have time to even manage another agency coming in and, and working with them. That, that's a lot, especially these days, the way businesses are just running with a skeleton crew. And so I've asked um, for some businesses to consider, what if you had an employee who was particularly interested in bringing someone alongside them, okay? Let's suppose that my student can't fully do the job. So to be fair, they would not fully earn whatever the wage per hour is for that job, okay? What if you had someone that we could help train that works for you, that we could train, this is what they can do and can't do. And what if we could take the difference between what you would normally pay an average employee and what if you could compensate your employee for taking on that extra responsibility? I'm thinking of like in a hospital, you've got medical technicians and those positions aren't high paying typically. Um, and it's a lot of time on their feet. There's a lot of taking a box of bandages and stocking some carts with that. Those are things that my students could do. They just need supervision. So what if you could compensate that tech for, for managing one or two employees a week for, you know, my students could work a three or four hour shift. They would be purposeful. They would be contributing. They would not be interfering with the benefits that they should receive, the government benefits they should receive. And you've boosted the pay of an of a employee um, to help them. I just, I think there's a lot of ways we can get around the whole job coaching government agency having to watch over it. I think there's some things that we could do um, if we could, if we could explain it well, and if we could see the business side of it, you know, I, I need to meet with some small business owners. I need to, I need to hear their concerns and see, you know, how their day goes and what my students could be trained to do. I, I wish we could have more of a, a working relationship with some of these local businesses. Mm -hmm. Like right now, our students go once a week and they sanitize toys and clean rooms at a childcare on the days that there are no children present. So if they run this three morning a week kind of preschool, we go in there on one of their off days and vacuum, sweep, sanitize toys. Um, we work hard for about an hour and 15 minutes. And then, you know, we just need the experience. They, they need um, to, to learn to work like that. I just, I think my, I have this, sweet hope that one day I can make some connections for my kids that that give them some purpose and some interaction with people even after they graduate and that they'll be seen as contributing. Um, they want to help. They, they want to be part of something and they work really hard 
to please people to do that. So I, I just feel like there's got to be a way that we can, you know, even convince our own school system. Um, you know, would you hire back some of our graduates and let them work in some of those positions? Like, um, you know, let us let us help you prepare uh, the lunchroom, clean it. And we, we do that daily for them. Um, but we have some students that they would do great to come in and work for a few hours in the morning, folding the laundry and, you know, bagging up two cookies at a time or whatever it is. You know, there's a lot yeah. of editive work that we can do and do well. We just need a safe environment in order to do that. Well, and it may be also just having a roundtable of um, people in position to be able to kind of brainstorm, but they don't know. I mean, it's kind of like your same experience with your students finding out, not your students, but within the school finding out that there's this interaction and they're providing something for them and and becoming aware. And I think it's that, that huge awareness. So that, that can be, um, that can at the same time while you're pouring in be something so difficult for you because people need to pour into you and, and be able to give you a platform to send back out so that you kind of have that circle, you know, of, of um, satisfaction, what is it work satisfaction right, <laughs> you know, right. where you've actually seen it come to fruition. Right. Um, so if, um, as we've talked about this, it just seems like your career, the idea that you were able to use a lot of your elementary skills in that classroom for special needs. And it goes right back to that thread that you were talking about of being in the right place, saying yes, letting the Lord lead and direct your steps. And um, so it seems to be pretty much true for you as you're looking at your career in life. Um, is there anything that you would tell your 20 something year old self that, um, Hey, the career this way or do this, or here's a warning or, you know, something along that line. And then those that are coming out uh, with that education degree, would you have some words to them? I, um, I, I think it, a 20-year-old self um, has a hard time seeing um, that turns are not necessarily detours. You know, there were times that I thought, I don't really know if it's supposed to be this way, but um, you know, as you move along through life, um, thankfully, you get to hit some struggles that help you say to your own kids and to people that come after you, hey, just hang on because we had a bumpy ride like this and this is how it turned out. So just just hang on, just keep the faith. I think um, if I had a chance to talk with young educators, people that are early in that Field and I, and I do I get to do that some way I get lab students from some of the local universities and they'll come and spend you know 20 or so hours in my room over a quarter or a semester and so you know I get to say to them um, be diligent in your studies right now because 
I know it seems like you don't have a lot of time right now, but you probably have a lot more time right now than you're going to have in your early career. So make good, get all you can out of this because you never know what little piece of that you're going to need for later on. So as I was learning elementary education and taking the special education classes, I remember thinking, I don't know if some of this is really going to be appropriate for what I'm going to be doing later. A funny story it was, you know. Um, I think um, even, even some of the jobs we have early on, where we're like, I don't understand why I'm in this job. I don't understand what this is doing. Um, you know, you're going to learn, you're either going to learn how to do it or how not to do it um, from the people that you get to work with and the people that you answer to. And I think that's a, there's no wasted experience. Uh, you might not know exactly what, what compartment to put that experience in, but I don't think there's any wasted experience. And um, looking back, I can see um, a lot of value in the people that I got to spend my time with and uh, people that influenced me. And I'm going to do my best to pay that forward so that the next group can come through and say, boy, that was, that was good advice. And that was a good example. That's, that's what we are here to do. So I want to stay the course and stay faithful. Well, and I think too, you mentioned a few things. I mean, you mentioned grant writing, you mentioned, you know, all of these skill sets. And so it's, amazing what you have what kind of tools you have to have in your toolbox to start with and you know there's I'm sure there's a a praise and a curse for technology these days and my husband in the IT department would probably be the first one to to give you that list but you know the interesting thing is you know through the use of technology we can have podcasts and connections like this I can virtually search from my PJs in the evening, what would be a good grant? And, you know, I'm looking for a grant right now because I, I want to train my students to use a food truck to, to sell packaged. Uh, we don't, we don't want to be in the business of preparing food, but we want to, to, to get a food truck for our County so that all of our um, self-contained kids can take a turn, you know, managing one of those. So um, I, I am, I can look for grants like that um, on my off time. I can put something out there on social media and get a response in nanoseconds. Um, and it's it's really, it's kind of a, a neat place to be living that we can, it's a cool time. We can, we can put an idea out there and search for something and get almost immediate feedback, but there's still some grunt work. There's still writing and, and connections to make and, um, you know, I, I think that same providential timing, um, I've just recently joined a, a board for a, a supervising body for group homes that uh, manage uh, special needs citizens after graduation. And and at first I thought, I just don't, I'm just not sure about that, but I just, I really felt like I need to know what those obstacles look like. If I'm going to help my kids be ready for the next step, I need to get familiar with the next step. Uh, You can get kind of tunneled in on, I'm only responsible for grades nine through 12. But, you know, 
you don't let these kids go after graduation without thinking about, you know, what they're facing. So um, I, I'm going to the first board meeting tomorrow night. I will know zero about that, but I hope when I come out of that meeting, I know a little bit more and, uh, you know, and can maybe get a feel for what are those needs. And there's probably resources out there I don't know about. So we just, last week we had a, a time with our students where we invited their parents to come in, come back to school on a Thursday night. And we did something really simple. We set up their favorite things, their favorite job training stations. We ordered some pizza. We, we got some chips and some little Debbie cakes and we let them just visit and let parents share, you know, their experience. Like, you know, you can get a flyer for Camp Aska or you can talk to someone who's been to Camp Aska. And uh, we just we just let them share. And it was just this buzz in our classroom and down the hallways. They were just excited about what their children were doing and what opportunities they might have. And um, it was a real cheap trick. I mean, it, it was it was a hundred dollar night and everybody went away just tickled with what their kid was doing at school. And I, I think when we let teachers get together like that and have that kind of um, collaboration and we let parents get together and do that and let our students get together and and do normal things, I think that's beneficial. So um, I look forward to events that put our put our parents together and put our community together and get those resources kind of um, off the pamphlet and into the minds of people because that's we send home a lot of information. I think there's information overload, but when they when they hear word of mouth, the benefits and the resources that they've found, they're more likely to investigate it for themselves. So I think that's important. Yeah, I mean the efforts that you put forward, you can see, you can see immediately um, enthusiasm and um, just the interest and the knowledge. Um, and I, I think, too, I can only imagine how lonely sometimes that can be for those oh, parents. Oh, yes. Um, I, I think I think it would be hard for us really to fully empathize with the fear that they have and the exhaustion that they face. And, um, you know, it's it's probably the. This group of students really need an advocate for them at all times. You know, somebody has to be cheering them on and, and pleading their case because they, they can't do that for themselves. They're the most vulnerable. And um, that's our job. That's our job to advocate and push and, and, and try to, to convince people that they have um, so much to offer and that they're, they're such hardworking people. I've, I have never seen a group of teenagers that will work like these students will work. There is no job too small, no job too large. They take on everything like a chihuahua. They're just all about it, you know, wanting to make it happen. So it's pretty sweet. That is, that is. Lisa, we have been all over the place and talked about a lot of different things. And we talked about personal life and professional life. And I just don't want to let it go yet without saying, is there anything that we have not touched on 
that you would like to? Um, you know, I, I say this, I say this to Scott probably once a week. I mean, he just laughs when I say it, but um, I, I tell him all the time, I, we have such a good life. Like I am so pinch me because I, I remember thinking at 21 and 22, boy, I hope I, I hope I have a good life. I hope I can, you know, work hard and make my parents proud and do the things I'm supposed to do. And I still kind of thought this was going to be some kind of, you know, mystical, it might turn out right, might not turn out right. Um, but my life is so full. It's just so full and so fun that I, I'm, I'm a little shocked sometimes. You know, we watch our children or our grandchildren. We say, this is ridiculous. This, this is ridiculous. This is, this is too good to be true. This is too much. It's too fun. Not that there haven't been heartaches. There have. But God is so good. And we've been so blessed that I really sometimes think I need to pinch myself. It's a good life. Well, uh, that's fabulous. And I, I'm not sure a lot of people take the time to know that they can say that or can say that. And so I hope that it challenges um, listeners to, to kind of look and evaluate and approach um, embracing change and, and go with gratitude and enjoy because that those are some of the things, key words that, that you used. Um, Lisa, if you had one superpower and you had it for 24 hours, you can use it personally or professionally. What would it be? How would you use it? And why would you choose it? Hmm. I've never thought about a superpower, Amy. Um, you know, I, I, I know the Lord has a plan and I know that he is omniscient and omnipotent. And I, I don't want those powers. I, I don't, I don't want to, to have the weight of knowing those things. Um, I do wish that we could take better care of the most marginalized people in our world, you know, the elderly, the young, the handicapped. I wish we could um, really honor and care for them and hold accountable the able-bodied people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. I wish we could get them motivated to do their part so that we could take care of the ones who can't. Um, I don't know what that superpower would look like, but I, I don't um, I have a hard time watching the suffering of those who can't do for themselves because others won't. I have a hard time with that. Um, that will probably keep me up at night more than caffeine. It's, you know, worrying that are we doing enough to help those that can't help themselves? That is a sobering thought. It is. Um, it is. And, um, and one we probably all ought to give a little bit of time and room to. 
Lisa, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or follow or, or be involved in um, if they have opportunities that you might be able to incorporate, how do they get in touch? How do they follow? It's L-E-I-S-A dot L-E-E 1187 at gmail.com. We're getting to move into this training facility that's going to let us hopefully invite um, some members of our business community in to see what our kids can do and they can share with us what they need done at their businesses and hopefully we can train our kids to work there and just kind of build a relationship, kind of a partnership in um, getting kids trained for local businesses. And I, I think, um, I think if we can if we can show the the best abilities of our students um, and offer some help for getting comfortable with communicating with those students and training those students and providing a safe environment for those students, I think a lot of businesses would would want to come by when they see their work ethic and their ability, I think they'll they'll be open to that idea of, of giving them an opportunity. So we're hoping that with this new training facility, we can do just that. Um, so I would love if, if someone's interested in um, working with us and letting a student uh, see their job and train. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be limitations, but I think the abilities outweigh the limitations uh, given the proper training and the proper relationships. So I, I would love to have an opportunity to connect with people in that way. Okay. Lisa, this has been fabulous. And I thank you very much for your it's time so and joining us. It's been so fun. Thank you. Stop to a big drum. Stop, Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family, to philosophy, to work, to meal prep, to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it. Stop.